Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5 to 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. A friend of mine took his wife to lunch at a Vietnamese restaurant in Cabramatta where there are many, many Vietnamese restaurants. And when they arrived, they were handed the menus, which were those just those laminated ones that had just the pictures of the dishes, but no English words on there. This one's actually got some English words on there, but it just had Vietnamese writing and pictures of the dishes. Uh, my friend was feeling fairly adventurous, so he just pointed to a few of the dishes and the waiter, who didn't really speak very much English, that worked for him too, so he just wrote down the numbers, went back to the kitchen. And as they were waiting for their food to be prepared, they noticed that the kitchen door kept opening and one by one, the waiter was bringing the kitchen hands over and pointing over at Craig's table. And he wasn't exactly sure why until the manager of the restaurant eventually came over and uh, asked whether or not he was sure about the dishes that he'd ordered. And Craig had to say, look, I, I have no idea what I've ordered. He, he, he explained that there was one particular dish that was made up of various parts of the pig, uh, the stomach, the esophagus, the liver, and let's just say other parts as well. And the manager very kindly drew a picture of the pig on a napkin and pointed to where the parts had actually come from. And to cap it off, it was actually a cold soup. Uh, the manager was right. Craig had no idea what he was ordering, and he certainly wasn't feeling that adventurous. I think he went for the chicken and cashews. I think that was the, uh, the safe option in the end. But there's a pretty basic lesson in all of this, isn't there? That, that you need to know what it is that you're asking for. And can I suggest that that's just as true when you're praying as when you're ordering in a Vietnamese restaurant? When you pray, and especially if you're going to pray a model prayer like this prayer, the Lord's Prayer that we're looking at over these few, few weeks, you need to be clear about what it is that you're asking for. 
it always seems a bit strange to me that, that this prayer is very often associated with conservative churches. It's, it's often a part of traditional liturgies and church services where perhaps they wouldn't want very much to change. But this prayer is actually asking for the most radical changes to take place. Radical changes in our lives and radical changes in our world. So what are we asking for when we pray the Lord's Prayer? What is Jesus encouraging us to pray in this model for prayer? Well, this prayer is made up of six requests, six petitions, we call them, six things that we're asking God to do, six ways in which we would like to see God act in our world. Now, we're going to deal with the first three of those petitions for this Sunday, and then next Sunday we'll look at the next few. Uh, The model prayer that Jesus gives starts with these words, if you've got it there in front of you, verse number nine, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When I was in primary school, we lived in a little country town up near Mudgee for a few years and there was an old man in the town there who used to pray the Lord's Prayer every single night. Uh, He would sit on the edge of his bed and say the words of the Lord's Prayer out loud. His wife kept trying to explain to him that he got the words a little bit mixed up and that he wasn't saying the right thing. Uh, She tried to explain that it was hallowed be thy name, but he was quite adamant that it was actually Harold be thy name. Uh, Went to bed every night thinking that God's name was Harold. Now, we might think that that's a little funny, but what are you asking for if you pray hallowed be thy name? I don't suppose it comes as any surprise, but uh, that idea of God's name being hallowed, it's uh, got some strong connections back in the pages of the Old Testament. So when we're praying, hallowed be thy name, we're asking that God's name would be revered and respected. We're asking that God's name would be seen as holy. We're asking that God would be treated with the respect that he deserves. And there's this strong association in the pages of the Bible between God and his name. I suppose we've got the same thing that happens today. We can talk about a company that's got a good name or a person that's got a good name. We're not really talking about their name. We're talking about their reputation, their character. And that's what we're asking here. We're we're wanting God's name to be hallowed, to be revered. Here's a couple of verses from the Psalms where, where it talks about God's name. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 52, I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. And then Psalm 75, we give thanks to you, God. We give thanks for your name is near. Men tell of your wonderful deeds. What we're asking when we pray, hallowed be thy name, is that people would acknowledge God for who he is, for what God is like, for the fact that he is God, that he's the one who rules over this world. We're saying that we want God to be revered and respected, that we want people to know just how great our God is. We're asking God to do those things that will bring glory and honour to his name. Now, some people think that this petition is really just about not using God's name in vain, and that would definitely be a good start, but it's way more than that. We want God to be, to be honoured. 
And how will God be honoured? He'll be honoured when people recognise that he is God. That's got to be the very first step. He will be honoured when people appreciate that he is holy. He will be honoured when people recognise their own sinfulness before him and turn to him in repentance. He'll be honoured when people ask for forgiveness. Well, then comes the next two petitions and they're there together in verse number 10. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, in some ways, this is just an expansion of that first petition. All three of these things are very closely related together. And we need to remember the setting for this. We need to remember who it is that Jesus is standing up in front of and saying these words. He's standing and talking to his disciples in the crowd. It's the Sermon on the Mount. There are thousands of people gathered there, we understand. And he's speaking to first century Israelites. And at the time that Jesus spoke these words to the Israelites, they were living under Roman occupation, living with no king of their own. They hadn't had a king on their own throne for hundreds of years. If you had to pick their greatest hope, the thing that they would want more than anything, I'm guessing it would be for God's kingdom to come. They're longing for a king who will come and rescue them from Roman occupation. They're longing for God's kingdom to be re-established. Wouldn't take too much to get these people to pray, your kingdom come. They were probably already praying that. They were probably longing for the day that God's kingdom would come. But Jesus is asking us to pray for something even bigger than they could have imagined back then. See, when Jesus came, he announced that the kingdom had come. Jesus came to bring in the kingdom, but it's a kingdom that goes way beyond the borders of national Israel. Jesus' kingdom is made up of people from every country, from every nation. And we sit here this morning in a church in Balmain, thousands and thousands of kilometres away from Israel, and we sit here because there is a sense in which the kingdom has already come. Here we are, a bunch of people, a bunch of Australians, worshipping Jesus as king here in Balmain. Jesus' kingdom has already grown way beyond the borders of national Israel. And the kingdom continues to come. Every day, more and more people are joining that kingdom. Every day, more and more people are placing their trust in Jesus as that king. In fact, Christianity is growing faster today than at any other time in history. There's a sense in which we're still waiting for the kingdom to come. See, because it's true to say the kingdom has come because Jesus has come and the kingdom is coming because more and more people are placing their trust in Jesus as king. They're joining that kingdom. But it's also true to say that the kingdom will come because it won't be complete until Jesus comes again. So when you're praying your kingdom come, you're praying that God will continue to establish that kingdom, that every day there will be more and more people who will acknowledge Jesus as king. We're praying that God's rule, God's kingdom would be established everywhere and that's the next part of that petition. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is saying that we should pray that earth would become just a little more like heaven. 
Heaven's the place where God's rule is complete and unchallenged. Heaven is the place where God is appropriately respected, where he is hallowed. There's no rebellion in heaven. There's no one ignoring God in heaven. There's no one rejecting God's authority in heaven. But it's not as if God is forcing his rule on people in heaven. Heaven's the place where people actually love God's rule. Uh, they, they rejoice in God's rule over all things. And that's what we should want down here on earth. That people will love and respect God. That people will appreciate God's rule, God's wisdom. That people will do God's will, that they will live as God's people, that they would live as part of his kingdom. Some of the great conflicts in North Africa at the moment are the result of Muslim governments wanting to impose Sharia law on those who aren't Muslims. It's caused enormous problems. It's divided countries in North Africa. And those uh, laws are often used as a weapon to punish non-Muslims. Muslim law is imposed on people by force. They don't have a choice but to obey. So let's be clear, that's not what we're praying when we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is not saying that people should be forced to live the way that God wants them to. You've only got to go right back to the very beginning words of this prayer. It starts with two words, our Father. See, it's only in the context of that personal relationship with God that you can be a part of God's kingdom. It's only in the context of that personal relationship with God that you would want to do what God's will is. So there you have it, the first half of this model prayer. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let me ask, what would it look like if God were to answer that prayer? Or let me be a bit more specific. What would it look like in your life if God were to answer that prayer? And what would it look like in our world if God were to answer that prayer? So let's start with your life. What would it look like in your life if God's name were to be hallowed, if God's kingdom were to come and God's will was to be done. I was in Zimbabwe just a, a week or so ago and um, driving around in Zimbabwe is uh, quite, a, they, they call it a challenge um, and indeed a challenge it is. There are no traffic lights anymore, all the street signs uh, as they fall down they're not being replaced. Uh, it's a very difficult place to get around so if I've got to travel anywhere, if I've got to drive anywhere while I'm there, I sit down and have a very good look at the Google Maps route that I need to take and try and memorise all of the turns because I, I want to know that I can get there uh, without having to think too hard about it. And even sometimes when I'm driving, I'll, I'll pull over to the side of the road just to have another look at that map, make sure I've got it straight, that I know where I've got to head from here. My guess is your prayer time probably does the same thing as mine. Uh, when you start praying, you start asking God for things, asking God for people that you know who are not well or things that are happening in your life or in your family. 
Now, I know that God wants to hear all of those things, but think about this model prayer. How does it start? It starts not by talking about me. It starts by talking about God. It starts by talking about God's name, God's honour, God's will, God's kingdom. The very first thing this model prayer does is what I need to do in Harare. I need to get my bearings. I need to know where I'm heading. We need to remember that God is the one who is at the centre of this universe, not us. We need to remember that the most important thing in this world is not what's happening in my life. The most important thing in this world is that God's name would be hallowed. Do you know what are the main ways that God's name is either hallowed or defamed in the world that we live in? The way that people see you living your life. This is what uh, Paul and Peter say. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. And then Peter says a similar thing. Live such good lives among the Gentiles that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, as God's people, as people who who profess to be Christians, others will be looking at you and your life, the way that you conduct yourself, the way that you speak, the way that you deal with people, and the way that you live will either bring glory to God's name or profane God's name. We have a wonderful opportunity in the lives that we live to see that God's name is hallowed, to see that God is respected because of the lives that we live as his people. But it's not just about how we live. This is also a prayer for our world. We're saying that we want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what would that look like? if God were to answer that prayer. I said before, there's a sense in which the kingdom has already come because Jesus has already come. There are already people who are living transformed lives because of Jesus. Jesus has established the kingdom and he wants to see that kingdom grow. He wants more people to acknowledge him as king. And how does it grow? Well, it grows quite simply as people join the kingdom as they acknowledge Jesus as their king. It grows as more and more people place their trust in Jesus and hallow God's name. It comes when people recognise how great our God is. There are those who do not yet have not yet heard about Jesus and we need to make sure that we are the ones who are taking that message about Jesus to the world that desperately needs to hear. This prayer is answered when people hear the good news about Jesus and place their trust in him, bow their knee to him as their king. Well, that's the first half of this model prayer. It's pretty big stuff, isn't it? I mean, it's funny, I I can remember so vividly as a small child growing up in an Anglican church and hearing this prayer mumbled every single Sunday and being think a little bit confused by what I was hearing but Jesus is encouraging us to pray for huge things here 
to pray that the world will be completely transformed, that everyone here on this earth would hallow God's name, revere God and respect him as the God and ruler of all things. And Jesus says that when we pray, these are the kinds of things that we should be praying. We should be praying that people will honour God, that God's will would be done. Jesus wants to reorient our thinking. He wants us to expand our vision. He wants us to see the most important things in life. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for the small day-to-day details of our lives. God loves to hear about those as well. But it's a question of getting the right orientation, getting the right priorities. What this model prayer gives us is that it helps us to see God's perspective on the world that we live in. It gives us a better perspective on how we ought to live in this world. When we pray, we should start by praying for the most important things and the most important things are not to do with you and me but to do with the God who rules over all things, that his name might be honoured, that his kingdom might grow and that more and more people would acknowledge Jesus as their king.